Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome, everyone, to March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this latest edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Syracuse Hall of Fame coach Jim Bayon. Last week, Hall of Fame coach Roy Williams of North Carolina and I discussed his dream player as I had him pick a player for each of 10 categories that I provided for him. I'm going to do the same with Coach Bayheim. And now Jim Bayheim has been the coach at Syracuse his entire adult life, dating back to the mid-1970s. Bayheim is the face of Syracuse University and helped lead the Orange to a consistent place among national contending programs from the formation of the Big East to the now 15-team ACC. You'll find Bayheim's selections fascinating if you're a fan of the Orange or if you're just someone who's followed the sport in some form or fashion over the last 40 years. Bayheim has coached so many elite players that it was difficult for him to choose one in each category, but he obliged for me and he participated and I appreciate that. But I want to add that we taped this interview before the unrest of the past week. And that's why there was no reference to that upheaval that has gripped our country from Minneapolis to every corner of this land. Now, Bayheim, like many other coaches and administrators in the NCAA, did release a statement over the weekend. And I want to make sure it gets heard since he didn't have a chance during our interview. Bayheim said, the death of George Floyd and so many other African-Americans is beyond heartbreaking. We must work to eliminate the everyday injustices that African-Americans face. It will take all of us together to accomplish this. NCAA President Mark Emmert said in a statement, the killing of George Floyd last week laid bare the continued existence of inequality and injustice in America. The college athletic community must be clear in our stand that it cannot be tolerated. As we look across our nation today, we cannot ignore the impact of racial disparity whether in those stricken by the coronavirus, by the lack of economic and educational opportunity, or by the injustices that cost Mr. Floyd his life. Sport historically has been a catalyst for social change, and through our leadership and the way we treat one another, each of us can continue to make a difference. We must, therefore, commit ourselves individually and collectively to examining what we can do to make our society more just and equal. We have not done enough. We can do better. Mark Emmert. NCAA president. So quite simply, we all must do better as Americans, especially white Americans, to acknowledge and help rectify the economic, social, and legal disparities that have been rooted in this country since its inception. We're doing a United as One campaign with the NCAA and now with March Madness specifically. We started it because of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, but we should be united as one as Americans, as human beings, 
Whether you are black, brown, Asian, white, Native American, or any ethnic or racial or sexual orientation or gender, you as an individual choose to designate for yourself. We can't just say we're going to get to the other side of this, as we will with COVID-19, hopefully sooner than later. Institutional racism will need to be a major cultural shift. Hopefully, we in college basketball are just one small piece of trying to constantly show we are together in helping each other always achieve the most we can out of life. Thanks for listening. As always, I really appreciate all of your engagement with us every week on March Madness 365. Here is my interview with Jim Beheim. Jim, um, we're all obviously uh, dealing with this new normal the last almost three months. Um, you actually have had your entire family home, including uh, your boys that play college basketball. What's that been like over the last couple of months? It's been great having them here. Um, I think they're all kind of ready to get out back into the world. I think we got to make that move, and hopefully all the college presidents agree and going to start school in, in the fall for sure. But uh, it's been fun having them home and uh, getting some time with them. Now, workout-wise, uh, I'm just curious, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, do you, do you have a gym there? That I yeah. said, w- w- When you put that in, uh, what do you think the chances were that it would get this kind of usage? I was worried that we'd get any really a lot of usage out of it. We did get some out in high school, and you know, which has really been helpful. But now, uh, my two guys have worked out almost four, well, five days a week, really, in the gym and in the weight room we put up. And so it's been a tremendous tool. It's been just great. Uh, uh, they're in, in pretty, pretty darn good shape when they get ready to go back to school. And not many people have had that opportunity. Most of our players have struggled to find any place to work out, and some are really just shooting outdoors. So it's uh, it's been a struggle. That's the one thing about getting guys back on campus, even if they can just go in the gym and shoot in small groups, just to have a place where they can shoot and then have a weight room that can be supervised, um, I think is a great thing, and we're looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of two parallel things. On one side, obviously, we all want to be safe for the COVID-related aspect, but then on the other side, you know, athletes don't want to come back too soon and do too much because they really haven't been doing much over the last couple of months, at least in comparison to what they're used to. Yeah, and I think that the the good news about summer, we're used to having a summer program for eight weeks anyway where kids come back and shoot and play a little bit. So this isn't out of the norm. It's pretty normal for them to come back up for, for about eight weeks. And that's, you know, again, that's what we're shooting for. We didn't know that that would happen two months ago. So if we get that and then get back to school uh, for the fall, I think we're we're in, in about as good a position as we could be given where we were two months ago. All right. So for these purposes, um, I want to look back on your career, your Hall of Fame career at Syracuse. Uh, you've coached some tremendous talent uh, over your tenure, uh, more to come here. And um, so I, I got some categories. I know you're aware of these. Uh, so I want to toss these out to you. So during your career, let's start with who would be your quarterback, your, your playmaker, your best passer um, that you would sort of start with. Well, it's hard not to start with Pearl Washington, the, 
The problem we have is with Pearl is that Sherman Douglas was so close. Uh, people probably don't remember Pearl was three years here, made first team all Big East point guard all three years. And there were some really good point guards, Dana Barris and Mark Jackson and, you know, Charles Smith, to name a few. Pearl made it all three years first team, and then Sherman followed up and was first team all Big East point guard three years in a row and held the national assist record for a long time. Uh, and so it's hard to pick between those two. You really have to pretty much go one and one A with those two guys. I mean, it's just really hard to determine uh, between those two guys. All right. So we got Pearl Washington and Sherman Douglas, which, you know, two players that have obviously uh, meant a lot or had meant a lot, certainly to your program. Um, before we move on, any other quick anecdotes about what they meant to you personally? Well, Pearl coming in changed the history of the Big East, and along with Patrick and Chris Mullen, catapulted the league into the top league in the country within a year or two of its formation, which was something that no one thought was possible to do. And then Sherman being able to take over for Pearl and do these almost the exact same stats, lead the league in assists, score, uh, steals, I mean... You just can't look at two better point guards than that. Very few point guards make all league three years in a row. Pearl was only eligible three years. He was three years, made it all three. Sherman, of course, played behind Pearl for one, and then he made it three straight years. So uh, two unique players and uh, two two one of the all-time best point guards, I think, in college basketball. All right, let's move to um, the clutch category. Um, someone that you needed late game, you could always count on, was going to make a big shot for you. Who would who would fit in that category? You know, really, uh, it's hard to be Jerry McNamara. We didn't count out, uh, count out the number of game winners, but he probably made seven or eight game winners, I mean, uh, in his career. And that's unusual. You know, I mean, the last shot that you had to have or the last play, I mean, he did it in the Big East tournament four times or four four games in a row. But he did it at Notre Dame. He did it against Notre Dame here. He did it at Georgetown with a three at the buzzer. He made a three against Notre Dame at the virtually buzzer here. Uh, he made them, I think, easily the most clutch shots. So we we've had some obviously great players, but just for guys that have made big big shots in games. Uh, I don't think anybody's uh, close to what uh, what Jerry did. And what did you see in him to add him to your staff a few years ago? He just understands the game. He loves the game. He loves to teach the game. He's in the gym constantly with his group and constantly teaching them position and uh, angles. Uh, he, he's just got a really good knowledge of the game of basketball and overall from a team concept what works offensively uh, really good knowledge of the game all right let's go to that athletic wonder maybe one of the best athletes you've ever coached you know we've had a few uh that you could probably put into that category um you're not going to win a lot of games without having some of those athletic guys um i mean i started out way back with tony red Bruin, who could to jump over the building really and, and go get balls uh, you know at six foot four 
mean, he had a dunk once at near Raven Patrick Ewing right there. Uh, spectacular dunk. Tony was uh, a really, really athletic type player and, uh, and good player. Uh, he he kind of stands out a little bit, uh, but you know Stevie Thompson would be another other guy that at six two or three could go. You know he he probably caught fifty lob dunks in in one year. Of course he had Sherman Douglas throwing him to him, but uh, Stevie could just go get the ball at six three and athletic as anybody I've ever seen. Those two guys really stand out to me. All right, best shooter. You know, we got one now that's getting close to that category. Uh, his name's Beheim. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a little too young right yet to, to get that title. Um, I mean, you, we've had some, some great shooters here. Uh, you know, Matt Rowe was with us, uh, 40% three-point shooter. Demetrius Nichols shot in that category, and... And, you know, Jerry McNamara was in that category. You, you've got, uh, we, we've been fortunate, we had a kid named Preston Schumber who really could shoot the ball at 6'7". So uh, we've been very fortunate with guys shooting the basketball. Um, I think Joe Girard, but they have two guys we have right now are going to end up uh, pretty elevated level in that shooters category before they leave. We'll, We'll save them for a later date, but uh, certainly uh, those guys that I mentioned stand out to me. All right, but if I have to lean the way you did at the point where we had a 1A, 1B, how would I lean Shumpert or where would I lean? You know, it would be a, a tight, tough call between uh, Preston Shumpert and probably Jerry McNamara. Probably those two guys shooting the ball from distance. All right, uh, let's go to a bucket getter. That's stat stuffer. Well, there's the only one that you know. There's only one guy. I know there. where you're going. <laughs> you're going to Carmelo Anthony there. Yes, there's, I knew it. We've had a lot of guys, guys that could get buckets, but uh, he could make the three, pull up, or get to the basket, an offensive rebound. Uh, he's he's uh, he'd be one one for sure. And Billy Owens would be close behind him, a guy that was twenty and ten his junior year before he left for the league uh, was another guy that could get you points. But uh, Carmelo overall, because he could really shoot the ball inside as well. But he'd be number one for sure. How do you explain that in just one year, now I know you won the national championship, but the impact that Syracuse had on Melo to where Melo over the last you know, whatever this this almost 17 years has really given back even more to Syracuse than what Syracuse gave him. He's been unbelievable. I mean, to give us the building we needed to to really put the money in to get that started. Um, And he's continually come back here and helped us in many different ways. And uh, and when you really, it's remarkable when you realize he was here one year, I mean, just one year. So, uh, he had a huge impact when he was here, and he's continued to give back uh, all these years, and it's incredible. You know, really, uh, it's a great story. All right, so the defender. Obviously, you coach much more of a team defense and have leaned for most of your career on the zone, now playing, obviously, some man. 
Um, but if there's one player, if we can, that you would lean on in terms of one of your best defenders, who would it be? Well, I think you have to look at Tom Thomas, who was, you know, drafted ninth in the NBA, led the Big East and block shots and up there in rebounding. He certainly was a guy that you'd have to, uh, you know, really look at in terms of uh, protect the basket type of defenders. Um, the best one-on-one defender we ever had was a, a young man, a guy by the name of Eddie Moss, who was in my first years of coaching with Roosevelt Bowie backing him up at center. We had, you know, some of our best defensive teams, and Eddie led the Big East. You know, it was before the Big East led the league, led whatever ECAC in steals. And I, I remember, I'll never forget, he had ten steals at Purdue in a nationally televised game. Uh, it was an incredible record. I've never seen anything like it. And it wasn't a press. It was just straight man-to-man. And he had 10 steals. But uh, those guys, Amos and Tom Thomas, certainly uh, stand out to me. All right. So that actually segues, and I don't know if you consider Eton there or, uh, well, I'll wait and see what you say here. But for the sort of the rebounder, the dirty work guy, if you, I don't know if I'd say dirty work, but, you know, Someone who would be also that in that post. Well, the best rebounder was Derek Coleman. He led the country in rebounding. He led NCAA basketball in rebounding until I think Tim Duncan came along. He was a tremendous rebounder. You know, I, he had I think eighteen or twenty rebounds in the national championship game, and just an amazing rebounder. Great hands. If he could get his hand on the ball, he got it. He brought it in. He's by far the best rebounder that I've ever coached. All right, let's move on to the glue guy, that that player that uh, you knew could sort of just get everything pieced together for you. Well, you know, two guys come to mind. One is Josh Pace, who was our sixth, seventh man on our national championship team. Could rebound a little bit. He could score. He could play. He defended. He made steals. Uh, good passer. He's a guy that kept the team together and wasn't a primary guy. He's really the guy that comes to mind most of anybody. I think Stevie Thompson right behind him. He he was on a team with Derek Holman, Ronnie Cycli, and Sherman Douglas, but he just did a lot of stuff, you know, that had to be done. And really, those two guys, as far as blue guys, were just tremendous. So actually, these last two categories kind of dovetail off of glue guy because uh, one is, and we'll hear at number nine, we'll say sort of the basketball IQ, the coach, and then I'll just give you the number 10, the last category, if you want to sort of divide these up, but it's the captain, you know, maybe who epitomizes, uh, and we're trying to have different players, obviously, to spread the wealth of your illustrious career, uh, but so you got a basketball IQ, sort of the coach, and then the captain, who would fill those last two spots for you? Well, IQ-wise, uh, you know, shoot, a point. I, I think Tyler Ennis might have been one of the smartest point guards. I mean, he, you know, Pearl and Sherman had unbelievable physical talents. And Tyler Ennis was quick and, you know, smart, but, you know, moved well, but he didn't have that kind of physical, to, but he made the right plays all the time. He He kind of sticks out is at, you know, just a smart, smart basketball player that knew exactly how to get the ball to people and make plays. Uh, and again, you know, I've had so many guys 
that could fit into that category of just understanding how to play the game type of players. And, you know, he, he certainly stands out, but you could go down the list. I and mean, Derek Coleman was a really smart player and understood how to play the game. Even though he was very talented, he really understood the game positioning. Uh, really smart player. Really smart player. Those two guys, even though they're really talented players, really understood the game. And uh, they stick out to me. Captains, I mean, I've had, you can't win as many games as we've won without having great leadership. And we've had so many guys that were leaders uh, from the from the very beginning. But it was Jerry coming in and Tyler uh, Ennis is a freshman. Now, here's one idea. What if, because you were obviously spoke so highly um, of Pro Washington and Sherman Douglas, we actually could maybe have one be the quarterback, the playmaker, and the other the captain, even though they were both kind of the same role, if you will. I don't. Is that fair to maybe put one in one? Yeah, I think Sherman would be the captain and, and Pearl would be the playmaker. I think that would be a good fit. Yeah, I, I think that would be a pretty good fit. That way they both get their due and obviously meant so much to this program. I mean, when you see this list, when you talk about, as I'm sure you have many times reminiscing about your tenure there, um, what stands out to you about the, the different types of players and high character and diversity of player that you've been able to have in your career for decades at Syracuse? You know, I'm, uh, I'm just proud of the character of the guys we've had over these years and how they've all gone on to be really successful in life and what they've done. Obviously, they were great players here, and they've all given back to us when we've asked. Uh, and just in general in life, what they've accomplished. And, you know, not many coaches can look back over 44 years of guys playing for them. In fact, I don't think anybody can. <laughs> no, no, you're in a class by yourself in that. Um, hey, wh- one other thing on the Carrier Dome, I know this has been, and this was planned regardless of what we were going through, uh, it was going to go through a transformation. Um, you know, it was, it was almost like a souffle deflating there uh, when, when it went through. Uh, what's it going to be like to have a, I wouldn't say a new building, but a, a different building uh, come next season? Well, it, it's really just the permanency of the roof. We don't have to worry about the roof collapse. We don't have to worry about the leaks that we had a couple times. To have the stability of the permanent roof, I think uh, it's ironic that the permanent roof costs about two, three times what the building itself cost. Uh, but it's, I think that stability will be really good. Um, there will be some interior improvements, lighting and uh, things, but I think it'll be over a five-year period before we see everything uh, done that needs, you know, that will make it look different. But uh, the permanency of the roof will help to stabilize everything, I think. And the last thing, Jim, obviously we hope we have the season that we all hope and want. Um, as you sort of put this roster together for next season, uh, what are your thoughts on what Syracuse could look like? I really like, you know, we, we've got seven of our eight players back. We lose a, a great player. Elijah, he's a great scorer. But uh, all the other guys were experienced. There's not many teams that get seven of their top eight guys back. 
Um, I thought we, we were up and down, but we had some really good games last year where we really showed what we could do winning at Virginia, winning at Notre Dame, uh, some of those type games, uh, you know, at Georgia Tech. But to finish against North Carolina like we did, uh, it's one thing to, to win, but to dominate uh, a team like North Carolina in North Carolina is not done very often. And uh, they were playing at a pretty high level. So I think that gave all of our players a little confidence, a little boost of confidence into what um, what we could do. And I think we've added some some pieces that can help us. But to have seven of your eight guys back is unusual in college basketball. So I, I'm confident we're going to have a season. And I think uh, we're looking forward to it. Hey, one last thing, Jim, I, and I talked to Roy Williams about this uh, last week. Obviously, he was an assistant when Michael Jordan was there. But, you know, after watching The Last Dance, which I'm sure you digested as well, like yep. the rest of us, um, and we all, I mean, we lived through it. Uh, one thing I was so struck by was as unbelievable a player as he was, one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, was how coachable he was. Uh, and there's also this great photo. I brought this up to Roy of that has emerged of of Michael Jordan looking right into Dean Smith's eyes and really absorbing whatever he was telling. You could read deeper into that. Uh, and I'm just curious when you think back to that era, to Jordan the '90s, uh, about the ability to be coached and to want to get better and take that coaching. Um, you know, how much did that bring you back to that era, and and how much you know this generation obviously hopefully can continue to buy into that. Well, I think great players are coachable. They want to learn and they want to get better. The thing I was always struck with Michael Jordan, he always wanted to get better. He always worked to get better every day. A lot like Kobe. Kobe was a lot like that. I think Kobe modeled himself out after Michael Jordan. And uh, I thought, you know, I think he's the greatest player I've ever seen and the greatest competitor I've ever seen. And I played cards with him. I played golf with him. Uh, you know, he competes at everything, every minute of every day. And uh, that's what made him great. It's uh, obviously he's got unbelievable basketball talent, but uh, his competitiveness is what drove him to be uh, the greatest player of, of all time. And I've always of uh, his ability and his competitiveness um, from a coaching standpoint, you always are looking for somebody that's going to compete at the highest level. And that's what Michael Jordan did. And the fact that he was gifted with a tremendous basketball talent uh, uh, is what made him the, the greatest player. And, um, LeBron James is a great player. There's been a lot of great players. But in my mind, uh, you know, Michael Jordan stands out. Did you beat him in cards or golf? Um, he was, he's a pretty good golfer, uh, in cards. He's actually a pretty good card player, but I, I had a couple good nights in the card room against him in the, in the poker room, but on the Nike basketball trip, but that, those were more fun than big money games. They were, it was competing to see who would end up the winner of the night. If you if it was a uh, hundred bucks, you were happy to be ahead of, uh, the coaches or players or you know, when you got Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan in the room, you know, you're, you're, there's going to be a lot of trash talk. And if you can come out ahead, you can trash talk for a day or two. <laughs> well, Jim, it's great to hear your voice. Um, and uh, hopefully we're going to be talking about the season sooner than later. Stay safe and uh, be well. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, I really appreciate the time we had with Jim Bayheim, and now it's time for Cats Ranks. For this week's edition, playing off of our 10 categories, last week I had my top 10 bucket getters. And so since Syracuse, for most of Jim Beheim's career, of course, has been known for its zone on the defensive side of the court, I figured why not go with the top defenders since 2010, trying to at least narrow that pool. Let's start at number 10, going back to when he finished his career in 2013. Victor Oladipo at Indiana really played well in the way in which Tom Crean wanted the Hoosiers to defend. They got to the Sweet 16 that year. Also an AP Defensive Player of the Year award winner. At number nine, Matisse Thibel from Washington. Really fit into Mike Hopkins' zone, obviously a disciple of Jim Beheim, former player, former assistant. And he finished his career in 2019. He was the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year that year. At number eight, an AP Defensive Player of the Year this past season, Yudoka Azubuke from Kansas. Got through a number of different injuries and ended up having a stellar career with the Jayhawks. At number seven, a former AP Defensive Player of the Year, Willie Cauley-Stein from Kentucky, 2015. Great rim protector, really, really played well on the defensive end in in the interior, driving as as guards would drive players to the rim. John Calipari had a great sort of uh, fallback in the back part of the zone, the defensive side of the court. At number six, Rusticulous, known a lot for his offense but was one of the best at creating offense out of the defense for Rick Pitino for Louisville 2014. Rusticulous, Russ Smith, one of the top players in terms of steals in NCAA history. At number five, Aaron Kraft of Ohio State in 2014. Aaron Kraft would always get the top defensive assignment and handled it extremely well for the Buckeyes and Thad Mata. Really underrated player in his career at Ohio State. At number four, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia finished his career in 2019 as a national champ. Keep in mind, he did not play in that UMBC game. He was hurt, but one of the best defenders that Tony Bennett has coached. At number three, perfect player for West Virginia and Bob Huggins. Press Virginia. Javon Carter finished his career in 2018, beloved by the Mountaineers, always around the ball, causing havoc, really, really good on-ball defender for Bob Huggins. At number two, so if Hunter was one of the best defenders for Tony Bennett, one of the best defensive coaches ever, well, Malcolm Brogdon from Virginia in 2016 continued to be and has continued to be an outstanding defender at the NBA level. And at number one, Anthony Davis from Kentucky, 2012. Helped Kentucky win a national championship as a freshman for John Calipari. Uh, Cal always knew he had someone that he could just count on in the back part of the defense because Davis was always there to be that intimidator, to block shots, to alter shots and obviously was one of the main reasons that Kentucky won the national championship that year. So that's my Cats Ranks top 10 of the past 10 years, top defenders in college hoops. 
And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, as I said earlier, I really appreciate everyone listening to our podcast during this incredibly difficult time. I'm hoping that we've given you a little bit of an outlet, uh, especially some of these fan bases that are missed their opportunity, obviously, in March and early April, possibly. But And I appreciate the time that a lot of these Hall of Fame coaches have given me to uh, play along with me as they pick uh, their top 10 at these respective categories. And I've really found that these head coaches and really players that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks are really enjoying just talking about the sport, talking about their careers. We've done an outstanding job with our senior showcase, all that stuff we've put out for you. Uh, We've just had great response from the players and the coaches wanting to be involved uh, throughout the course of this uh, really incredible spring that we've had to deal with and now into the summer. Uh, We will talk again next week. Stay safe, everyone out there. Please stay safe. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365. Once again, thanks for listening. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.